Two testimonies. Uh, Amarita, if you can come. Talisha, if you can come. Uh, they're from Guyana. Uh, let's give them a hand. They went a powerful conference. You went to want to hear what God spoke to them at the conference. Amen. Good morning. Are you guys hearing me clear through this? <laughs> All right. My name is Amrita. Um, we're from the Guyana Church. Um, some of you have been to Guyana, so you know the distance. <laughs> so we got to conference on Monday, and we made one stop at Walmart. That was a city. And <laughs> we got back to the apartment, getting ready for conference. I reach out for my purse, and I can't find it. The whole team is searching. We empty every room. So we got babies, so we thinking they push it anywhere. <laughs> so we looked everywhere. Couldn't find the purse. I convinced myself that it's not in the house. Talisha had faith that it's in here. <laughs> I just said, you know what? It's just not in here. Maybe I lost it at Walmart. Um, so I asked for um, offering from the team. I was like, I need offering money for tonight. <laughs> they were able to give that to me, right? So in the process of getting ready, I honestly, I was defeated. All of my cash is in there, my card. I have no money. They won. I wanted to go back to bed, cover up, and just cry. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Day one. And I said, you know what? I didn't come this far to stay home. I might as well just go. So I get to church. Uh, I wasn't even worried about it. I forgot about it. I met Sister D at conference, and I told her. While I was talking to her, I broke down. <laughs> and she said, we'll pray that God's going to return the purse. I believe that with all my heart. So Pastor James Rosario did the offering, and it was moving. It, it you know. It challenged me to give what I didn't have. You know, um, I was looking at one of the girls from over, like, throw something for me. But obviously, they can't see, right? <laughs> so I'm there, but I want to give. I want to give. You know, I've been asking God to put a number on my heart. And I want to. I just didn't have it. Uh, we found the van that we came with uh, that dropped us off. We called the guy first, actually. And he said, the, guy, the van has been used to shuffle people around. So imagine that, right? <laughs> So we found the guy the night. Uh, he checked. He said, there was no purse in the van. I said, okay. He said, you want to check? I said, no, I, I believe you. I trust you. But he, he was insisting that I go. We went. We checked. I remember his words were, do you want to praise God now or after? And there was the purse on the seat. It was there untouched. I opened my purse. Every single thing was there. So I was able to give throughout the conference. I was at conference before but I was able to give into missionary work. I was able to give into a lot of things that they were saying over the pulpit, but I was able to give. So, you know, I just want to encourage people that, you know what, sometimes we get to conference, because I did it before, and we just have enough to get there. We have expense, accommodation, vehicle. You know, you're just there, and you just receive. But I guess that happens that I was able to give, not just going there to say, okay, I, I'm here, I've invested my sacrifice, but I went beyond that by just giving. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I'm the nervous one. Um, my name is Talisha. Um, maybe some of you would remember me. Maybe not, but that's okay. Um, so it started from before we got to conference. You know, there were so many things to be put in place um, in you know, being self-employed and everything. And it's like, when I think about all the things that needs to be met before we leave here, because Amrita and I are business partners, all the things that needs to be met before we leave here, 
I wasn't sure where, where it was going to come from, right? Because we still need to get here and, um, okay. I get to conference and be able to do what we need to do while at conference, right? So I'm there like, okay, I'm not going to worry. God did it before. He's going to do it again, right? So time progressed. It's like an outpouring. It's like clients just start coming from, you know, and they know we're leaving for three weeks, and it's like, okay, they want to come in before we leave. So it's like an overflow of work, you know. So God provided everything we needed, every bill that needed to pay before we left there. So we could leave it and whoever was in charge to pay her and just have her take care of everything, right? So it's like we came to conference with a peace of mind, you know, until Amrita lost her purse. And our peace left for some time because it was her purse. But everybody in the, in, the, in the house felt like it was their purse. It's like we were all heading to conference, depressed, drained, like all our money was in that purse as well, you know. But we got there. Conference was, sometimes you could see conferences just, oh, it's just, it's just church in another place, right? But um, it was more than just church. As much as I was sleepy a lot of the times, because like, a whole three-hour difference, right? Um, thank God for the girls that was next to me. Like, hey, you know, um, remember why you came? I was like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, but um, every sermon in some way or the other ministered differently. And for me, it means, it means a lot more when I could look around and see all these people here are a part of what I'm a part of. We're just in different places. So it kind of, it does something different for me when I see that I'm a part of a bigger family, right? Not just in Guyana. So whenever I get the opportunity to come to conference, I would because it's an investment spiritually, you know, um, and just look forward to what God is going to do because he's, even if it's just one, even if it's just one sermon out of five nights, or four nights and five mornings or the other way around, it's like, it's worth it. Even if it's just one. Because sometimes we could sit here and someone's like, oh, this didn't do anything for me now. But a couple months later or a year later, whatever, you remember that sermon. I remember then. Right? So conference was great. And it's always great. And beside it being great, it's like God speaking into us, you know, encouraging Amen. Praise God. Appreciate them. Amen. Okay, we're in time. It's going to be an incredible time uh, this week. Pastor Campbell did my pastor for 30 years. And, you know, he'll be 80 next year. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he's about 60, I know. But, uh, but my prayer is, God, let me be like my pastor as I get older. As the years go by, let me have his passion, his heart, his desire to do something for God. He preaches around the world. We're privileged. Uh, this week to have Pastor Campbell here. Let's give him a hand as he comes and preaches. Amen. Thank you. Uh, I want to uh, thank all. Testing one, two, three, four. I uh, want to thank all of those who came to conference. Uh, you make it possible uh, to plant churches from Bangladesh to Africa to the Philippines to Mexico around the world. And we really thank God for you and your labor, your investment, and um, 
God is an incredible God. I remember when our church was in a hot dog stand. Good pole vaulter could pole vault over the whole building. And uh, today, uh, 160 plus churches scattered around the globe. And uh, that's because of people like you. And I want to thank the ladies who cooked last night. Amen. I got, I got some... Uh, some greens, uh, some pork chop, amen, uh, uh, peach cobbler. Uh, it's hard to find that in, in Arizona, amen. But anyway, I thank God for you tonight, and we welcome you this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, Genesis 21, and uh, this is uh, going to begin with verse 14. This is an incredible story about life about God, about people. You're going to have different chapters of life. If you've lived very long, you're probably figuring that out. There's different seasons, just like spring, summer, fall, and winter. And there may be a chapter, and this is the title of my sermon, when life throws you under the bush, what's your attitude? What's your perspective? How do you respond? Genesis 21, verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread, a skin of water, putting it on her shoulder. This is Hagar. He gave it and the boy to Hagar. And he sent her away. Then she departed, wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. She placed the boy under one of the shrubs or under a bush. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. Because she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad. Where he is, arise, lift up the lad. Hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became a great archer. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus this morning. God, we come. I ask for these people, you bind up the brokenhearted. Set at liberty those that are bruised. Open prison doors to those who are bound. God, you heal the sick. May the gospel forever be preached to the poor. I thank you for this privilege to minister this morning in this place to these your people in Jesus' name. Amen. When life throws you under the bush, I want you to think for a moment, um, when your father sends you away, 
Here's the story of Abraham, verse 14 of chapter 24. Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water, putting it on her shoulder, and he gave it and the boy and sent her away. Sometimes life can get very confusing. Sometimes there's these conflicts of life. Life is not always this neat package uh, where everything's in perfect order. When I was a boy, it was leave it to beaver and father knows best. Uh, probably most of you are too young to know that. It was this perfect picture family. Today it's more like Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I pastor a lot of people and those sitcoms in the old days, they were so perfect, but they weren't real. That's also a picture of life. Uh, Abraham's the father, but there's conflict. Ishmael is a son that was triggered by Sarah's decision, her unbelief. You know the story. They had this servant girl they brought out of Egypt. Uh, she's barren, she's old, and she says, Abraham, go into Hagar, and perhaps there will be a child uh, Ishmael didn't choose this, the son. Hagar had a son. He had nothing to do with where he's being placed in life. You don't get to choose your parents. You don't choose the color of your skin. You don't choose where you were born. You don't even get to choose your own name. Amen. Have you figured that out? Amen. And so here he is. Um, now Sarah is upset. Therefore she said to Abraham, verse 10, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of a bondwoman shall not be an heir with my son named Isaac. You ever notice when people want to get rid of you, they erase your name. In other words, a name makes you personal. When people want to reject you many times, uh, they lose your name. They cast it away. In other words, here's this son. Now think about this. Sarah would have held this boy as a baby. Maybe she sang to him. Maybe she fed him, no doubt. There was an attachment, but now all of a sudden in life, uh, he has no name. He's rejected. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your family. It's like you're not real. You can read books about the middle child and different things. The eldest child, the last born. There's the baby. And then there's you. And life has caught you. This one's the mother's favorite. That one's the father's favorite. And then there's you. I wonder, Ishmael, he's watching this. He's a small boy, and he's being cast out with his mother. Mom, what does that mean? What does it mean to be cast out? But here is Abraham, the father. He's caught in a conflict. He loves Ishmael. This is his son by Hagar, verse 11. The matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son Ishmael. 
How many fathers walked away from a son or daughter because they couldn't live with the mother? He didn't want to leave. It had nothing to do with the boy. It was all about the mother. Or how many mothers had to take the children and run because of old crazy dad? Amen. I, I pastor a lot of people, a lot of crazy people. I'm, I'm just serious with you. I got people in my church, they go to prison. It's like a family reunion. I'm just, I can tell you stories all day, tragic stories, heartbreaking stories, broken homes. And so here is the conflict. The problem is the son or the daughter, the child, they don't see any of that. They can't process that. All they see is dad doesn't want me. Mom, where's dad? Son, he's not coming with us. Mom, is it my fault? Am I the reason? And many times rejection sets in. It does something to you as a young girl, a young boy, a young man, a daughter. I remember I was in Auckland, New Zealand, and these young ladies in the church their hair is all purple all kinds of colors and they're all dressed in black uh, this one young girl she looked to be maybe 13 14 I'm praying for people and she comes to me tears running down her face she pulls up her sleeve and there's these scars from her wrist to her elbow and she said pastor pray for me I can't quit cutting and then she pulls up the other and here are these they're, not, they're fresh wounds and tears she said and I, 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 I'm, I'm, after the I prayed for her, those people I didn't want to make a speck but after the service she came up to me outside and I said tell me your story she says pastor I haven't seen my father he left when I was small I said, why do you cut yourself? She said, the pain, the pain. I'm trying to bleed out the pain. And, you know, you can only fill in the blanks. It, it, it wasn't her fault. She's a child. She's a kid. And so here our story begins to unfold. Listen to the prophecy about Ishmael. If you go back to chapter 16, he'll be a wild man. And his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Chapter 16, that is, verse 12. The message translation, he's always fighting. He's always being fought. He's always stirring up trouble. He's out of control. Our streets are filled with Ishmael's. The product of a fatherless generation. Everyone's against me. I'm against every. I'm offended about everything in life. I'm always angry. I carry this attitude. Chicago. We have a number of churches in Chicago. There's been more kids killed by gunshot in Chicago 
and COVID. Streets are filled with Ishmael's. Young man in our church, and uh, he was probably when he first came in and got saved, he was around 18 or 19. He had priors. He'd been on the streets dealing and carrying drugs when he was 9, 10, 11 years old. I go with him before been several of the staff and people we went before the judge were pleading his case. Uh, and uh, she gave him five years. He goes into prison. He's like 19 years old, thereabouts. He goes into prison. And the first time he ever met his dad was in prison. First time he'd ever seen his father was in prison. He got out. He lived for God. Through, he got out in about three and a half, four years. Good, good, good behavior. He's in our church today. He's on fire for God. He's married, has children today. But not too long ago, we had a youth rally, and he gave his testimony in the youth rally, and his father was sitting on the front seat, and he's telling me how he met his dad in prison and talked to him. And his dad hollers out, and here's all these young people. He said, I love you, son. And here this young man, he's probably 26, 27 now, tears running down his face. Our life, our world is filled with Ishmael. But now it's just him and mom. And the Bible says she's a wandering woman. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness. This is so she's lost. There's no direction. The reference points of a husband, her family, her home, everything now is gone. I've seen this many times. Her whole life now has been flipped upside down. And this causes, they wander from relationship to relationship, trying to find somebody to love them. Place to place. I don't find it here. I don't belong there. I can't put down any roots here. The Bible said she's a wandering woman. Just mom and the kids. No one to share life with. No adult to dream with. No one you can really talk to. Feeling so unloved, so lonely, and you become so vulnerable. And then used up. Verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up. Water represents life. Every major city in the world is on a river or some access to water. Did you ever feel used up? Did you ever feel rejected? The Bible says, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But now there's no, there's no source. She's just wandering and destitute. That means the money's gone many times. There's no job. The cupboards are bare. Or you're burnt out. You're exhausted emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally. Nowhere to go. No answers. I talk to people constantly who come through the doors of our church. And there's this feeling of desperation. I gave it all I had. 
It's just me and the kids. But here's Ishmael. He has no clue. He's just a boy. Mom, where's dad? Where's dad? Mom, when are we going home, son? Dad's not coming. He's not coming back. And we're not going home. And now you're under a bush. She's put him under a bush. And all you hear is your mother's weeping. She placed the boy, verse 15, under a bush. Let me not see the death of my son. And she lifted her voice and wept. Have you ever been there? Listen, life, life. As your pastor said, I'll be 80 years old in May. Life has different chapters. And so I've married people in the church, Jesus people weddings. They're so filled with dreams. They're filled with expectations. They're filled with joy. They're filled with excitement. Uh, many, most of the time, going off on a honeymoon. Uh, and you know, I've pastored, I, I'm marrying children. I married the parents 35 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years. And sad to say, all of it, the dream died somewhere along the way. All that excitement, and I'll never forget a young lady Mexican lady, and I, I cautioned her. This guy come in, and I mean he, I mean he was handsome. I mean he, was, and and she was a beautiful young lady. And I said, dear, let him live for God. Let him live for God. He come at his family and drugs and all kind of street life and everything. And I said, listen, let, let's see what he's going to do. But she was so infatuated with him. Now we're talking years down the road. She comes into my office, takes sunglasses off, eyes black. He's had I don't know how many illegitimate kids. She comes, she still comes to church. We're talking now 30-something years down the road. And the pain and the agony and the weeping. And she's been in my office before and said, Pastor, I would to God I would have listened to. One of the most important decisions you'll make in all of life is who you marry. And the problem so many times when we make that decision, we're so young we don't realize. We're just infatuated. We're moved emotionally. Or if we could use it, we're in love. We're excited. We're thrilled. But somewhere in life, and thank God it has a different face to different people. Other people married fantastic and children, grandchildren, but listen, life somewhere, somewhere there's a chapter, and if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a bush existence. He's there, he's weeping, his mother's weeping. And the agony of that. But it's a powerful truth here about God. The Bible says in verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad where he is. I want to make a statement to you. Sometimes in your most desperate place is where God hears you. Some of your most potent prayers you'll ever pray 
is when you're in the most desperate place. Some of your most powerful testimony is when the world expects you to throw in the towel to curse God and quit, but you don't. You may be weeping. The Bible says weeping in the night, but then comes the morning. You've heard the story. Our daughter, I, many, many years ago, she be in her 50s today if she'd have lived. She's 15 years old. We're pastoring in Illinois, Marion, Illinois. She's 15 years old. She's incredible daughter. I'm in the Philippines preaching one Sunday afternoon in Illinois. It was Sunday afternoon. And her and some of the church kids are going to go hiking, Burning Cliff State Park. And my son's older than her by a couple years. They're all going to go. She's wanting to go with her older brother. And uh, so my wife, she finally conceded. They're there at the park. They have a hiking trail up. It's, there's these bluffs about 100 feet high, and et cetera. It rained. They, they're ready to leave. It stopped raining. So they decided, well, let's, let's go ahead. They're just kids having a, you know, just out having a good time. She's walking, they're hiking, it's slick, and she slips. My son was there, a number of other church kids, and she panicked. Make a long story, she fell 100 feet. She landed on boulders. My son climbed down to her side. She lived about 30 minutes, went into eternity speaking in tongues. I'm in the Philippines. Those days, no credit cards no cell phone. Uh, I'm on a back island in the Philippines. Pastor Mitchell had a pilot with a small plane fly in, get me out of there, trying to get home. Took me two or three days to get home. But we're at the funeral. And my dad went through World War II. He's, he'd been an alcoholic. He'd quit drinking. But he was cold. I tried to witness to him. He said, I'm happy for you, son but don't talk to me about it. At my daughter's funeral, my dad and mom, both sitting, of course, with the family up front, got up and came up to the casket and got gloriously saved. Later, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, well, what? tell me what happened. I'd talked to you before, and you just kind of blew me off, didn't want to hear it. He said, son, I watched your wife, Connie. I watched, we rushed to your house when we heard about Gail. I watched her people came from the neighborhood, people from the church, people came to console her. And of course, she was weeping, she was broken. But I heard her talk about Jesus. I saw her, you and her, even when they had the viewing and the it be the night before the, the funeral had the viewing and here's hundreds of people coming and she's standing there and people are coming and she's telling them how good God is. She's telling them, thank God you gave me a daughter for 15 years. My wife wasn't supposed to have any other children. She'd had tubal pregnancies. And J. Rell was born. J. Rell was about 10 months old. And she said, you know, God gave me a baby when I wasn't supposed to have a baby. Doctors told me if I ever got pregnant again, 
it can be very dangerous. They've tied one of her tubes. They said the other one probably explode. Uh, and she's t and my dad said I could not believe. I could not believe she had something I didn't have, and it had to be Jesus. I'm listening to her. Listen, sometimes when life and you find yourself seeming under a bush, uh, desperate, broken, pain and loneliness, right there can be some of the most powerful experiences of your life. And God will whisper to you. Most people get saved right here. It's where God speaks to people when, when life is closed in. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's why you're in the house of God this morning. It's because life and decisions and people have hurt you and, and you've broken and you're desperate and you're lonely. You've been rejected. He's under the bush. And God speaks. He speaks to the boy. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. He heard his weeping. Then the angel of the Lord called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, Fear not, God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. You thought it was over, Mom. You thought it was finished. You said this is the last chapter. But God speaks. Listen, don't ever forget what you're holding in your arms, Mom. You're holding the future when you hold a child, Dad. You're holding potential. You're holding possibilities. Said, pick him up, pick him back up, Mom. Arise, lift up the lad. Verse 18. Lift, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Listen, when you think it's over many times, God steps in with the word, and he says, what you've given up on, I can make a nation out of. Pick him back up. Never forget a promise of God. Once before, Hagar had run away, if you go back to chapter 16. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Verse 19, And I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. And she called God a name, a revelation of his nature, Chapter 16, verse 18, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Listen, do you know God sees you? God is a personal God. He's not, I pastor, I was a missionary in Malaysia, Muslim country. I pastor Buddhists and Hindus, and, and they have, Hindus have a billion gods. And the Buddhists, it's impersonal. 
God, you stay in heaven wherever you are. Just leave me alone to make money. Chinese are primarily Buddhist. Um, uh, Islam, the prophet, you know, Muhammad's dead. Um, and all of them, it's so impersonal. I've mixed with these people. I've preached to these people. But listen, our God, he's so personal. She said, he sees me. I see the one who sees me. You know, you can be saved, but you don't have the revelation that he sees you. He sees. He sees when you think you're hiding your sin. He also sees when you think you're forsaken and forgotten. He sees your desperation. He sees your loneliness. Uh, the God who sees me, who sees me in the New Testament, Paul said he's moved by the feelings of our infirmity. Then the Bible said God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. God can cause you to see what you missed before. I wonder was the well always there and she just didn't see it. God can cause you to see that which is going to nurture you. This well of water is life and death. Listen, do you walk by people every day in church that God says, I want you to see that one. See that one. Do you walk by people? And are you stepping over a wife or a husband that God says, no, 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 a child. I want you to see. Listen, life, not closed. You may have heard me say this. Life is your memories and experiences with God Pastor Roy Sablowski was on staff with me for many, many years. Comes from a huge Hispanic family. He's on staff with me. His kidneys are gone from the drug days, you know, and the alcohol and everything. And he's on dialysis. He's been on dialysis and on dialysis. And he's just tired eight hours a day. And finally, they've given him blood transfusions and they said, we're, he's, he's going to die. They called the family in. I went. I'm there by his bedside. Pastor Rosario was also there. James. We're by his bedside. And they gave him one last transfusion. Listen, the Bible says the life's in the blood. I saw it. He popped back to life. He's asking Pastor Rosario, show me a video of the land. You're going to build that new church in Colina, Texas. We sat there as he had about 45 minutes for an hour, and Isabel, his wife, was there, the kids, the boys, the girls were all there. But all he wanted to talk about was his memories and experiences with God and people. Listen, at the end of the day, that's life. You can give yourself to a lot of things. Jesus said, love the Lord your God, all your heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's life. She saw living water. Sin, and if you're not careful, life will blind you to that which is essential to your life. Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I came, he said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Churches on so many corners, but how many people? They don't see it. You're here this morning. Can you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about a miracle. She's talking about a miracle. The question is, are you blind to the very thing or the very person God put in your life to make it abundant, to make it full, to make your life worth living? Are you missing it? Some things only God can reveal. Don't allow what you're going through to blind you to what God wants to show you this morning. Don't allow the agony sometimes, the confusion, the brokenness, the rejection and the pain of people don't allow that to blind you to the living God the one who died for you the one that can change you I pray that prayer practically every time I preach Jesus said this is my ministry and I close Luke 4 18 and 19 he said I came to bind up the broken I came to set at liberty those that are bruised. When you're bruised in life, if you're ever bruised in sports or something, it limits you. You can't function like you did before. He said, I not only bind up the bruise, I set at liberty, I can bring back. And then he said, I open prison doors to those. That you can be sitting here and you're not in county or you're not locked up in fed somewhere, but there's internal prison bars. He said, I open prison doors. That's where you always run up against the wall. It's like you always feel limited. You want to change. You want, you want, you want life. You want blessing. You want, you want happiness. But it's like this. He said, I can open prison doors. I heal the sick. I preach the gospel to the poor. Thrown under the bush, but not forgotten. The bush places as many times where God's voice is the clearest. I ask you to bow your head with me this morning. You're here in this place. I thank you for listening to me.